So imagine that we have gathered and we're uh, meeting at a coffee shop, grassroots. That's usually where I like to do this. And you ask me that question, or someone asked me, you know, why is it important for me to have a, a relationship with God? Well, that's a question that can't just be answered quickly, I don't think. You know, it would take me a while to, to explain why. But here's how I do it. My answer would be, let me tell you a story. And it's a, it's a story that is so powerful, so hope-filled, but yet it's got some turns in it. It's got some dark places. It's got some, some challenges where you're not sure if we're going to make it out alive. But our God, who loves us so much, is going to step in, and He's going to, he's going to interact. And He's going to offer us something that is greater than we could possibly imagine. And so what I want to tell you over these next few meetings is the story of God. It's the story of Jesus, but it is also our story. It's the story of, of us. All of us have relationships, right? And you can answer back, because we're in a conversation, right? All of us have relationships. And relationships, you know, for the most part, they're pretty good, are they not? I mean, I've got some relationships that, you know, and, and you know what they're like. You've got really good relationships with people, and it might be your, you know, it might be your spouse, or it might be a, a neighbor, uh, it might, you know, your, your best friend, whoever it is. Probably we have those kinds of relationships where uh, you sort of understand what the other person is thinking, you know. Or if it's really good, you might go out in your carport or something and be looking for something and realize it's gone, only to have that person say, "Hey, I came by your house and I picked up your uh, chainsaw," you know. And they might borrow stuff without even asking you because you have that kind of relationship. You know what I'm saying? Or you know the relationship is so good that you know they just bust right in without knocking. You ever had a you know, we've all had relationships like that, right? Or maybe they even have keys to your house because you're, you're, you're that close, okay? And you spend all of this time together, and, and those are really, really, really good relationships, are they not? And we cherish those kinds of relationships. And, I, you know, I want to have those kinds of relationships. Now, you know, we know we can't have those with just with everybody, but there's a few people, and usually it's a, it's a small group of people that we have, that we have those kinds of, of relationships with. Well, I mean, but we also have some marginal relationships, right? You know, these are your acquaintances, maybe coworkers or somebody like that. You know, and they're, they're people that you know, but you don't have that sort of intimacy, that in-depth, that, you know, them coming to your house all the time you just see them or maybe it's a more of a distance relationship where you, you talk to them on the phone or maybe you see them like every six months or at Christmas or, or, or something like that and those can be those can be be very good too 
But I think there's something that all of us, we bring into our relationships. And what it is, is baggage. You agree with that? All of us bring baggage into our relationships. You know, the, the baggage that I bring into my relationship with you, and it's there, and some of you are quite aware of it, but you know where that baggage comes from? It comes from sin. All the baggage we bring into our relationships, if you want to just boil it right down to it, comes from sin. It comes from our, our, our brokenness. You know, the lies and the deceits, you know. We get caught up in all kinds of things, habits. And you know as well as I do that those things, they can change a relationship, can they not? Especially when they happen in the midst of a relationship. You know what I'm saying? They can change how we interact with one another. They can change how we talk to one another and, and, and how, we, how we speak to one another. But you know, we're also in a relationship with God. And if anybody understands what it's like to be in a, a changed relationship, a broken relationship, it's God. Because God experienced the very first one. He experienced the very first broken relationship. And so the premise that I'm going to lay out for us as we have this conversation is very simply this. It's that sin changed our relationship with God, but God had a backup plan. Does that work? Sin changed our relationship with God, but God had a backup plan. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be working, we're going to be working toward that. And I think for you and I to, to, to fully understand this story, I think we need to go all the way back to the beginning, to the book of the beginnings, to the book of Genesis. And so if you've got your Bible, you may want to open to Genesis or turn on your phone to Genesis. I'm going to be using the New Living Translation if you happen to be reading from a tablet. That's what I'm going to use throughout the duration of this series. What you see as we go all the way back is we see God doing something incredible. Something really incredible, something that, that never has been done before, and he begins to create. As a matter of fact, Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, just about everybody knows that verse, or is at least familiar with that verse, right? Whether they go to church or not, most people are kind of aware of that verse. Now, they may not believe it, but they probably know that Christians tend to think of God creating the earth. 
the heavens and the earth. So everybody is familiar with that. Well, as you begin to, as we begin to look at that story in Genesis 1, we see that God began to create. And it says that he created light. God saw that it was good. And he decided to separate the light. And so he, he created night and he created day. And at the end of that first day, God said what? He said, it is it is good. Yeah, and so he kind of kept going. And so he separates the space from the, the water, and he said, the water, you, you, know, you can only go this far, and you have to stop. And he let the dry land form. And out of that land, he began to bring out the, the vegetation. There's all these fruits and these plants and these vegetables and all of these things growing up. And it says, at the end of the day, God saw what he created and God said, it is. It is good. So he kept creating. So that he created two great lights. You know, they kind of governed the day and the night. He created the, the stars as well. And it was morning and it was evening. And he saw it, and God said, it is good. And he kept creating. And so he created fish and sea monsters and all of these things that, that swim in the depths. And he told them, be fruitful and multiply. Go and fill the water. And he said, it is good. And he populated the land with all kinds of beasts all kinds of animals and, and, and livestock. And he said, it is good. And then there was a conversation that took place in heaven. They're the divine council. God said, let us make human beings... But let us make them in our image. So they'll be like us. And so God created man. But it was different than anything else he created. Because God gave the man two things that no other creature had. The immortal soul and his image. And every single person that has walked on the face of the earth bears those things. The soul and the image of God. And so what I would want to tell you is that no matter what anybody says about you, no matter what you have done or where you've come from, no matter what your past is or, or what has happened to you, no matter how, how smart or unsmart you think you might be or others perceive you to be, there's one thing that you need to know, and that's that you are created in the image of God Almighty. And nobody can take that away from you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. 
because you bear the image of God. Isn't that awesome? We bear the image of God. You know what? God finished creating that day, and he didn't just say it was good. What did he say? He said it's very good. Very good. You get into chapter 2, and you start reading, you realize you're reading another creation account. And it gives you a few more details. And what we find out is that God took the man that he called Adam, and he placed him in the garden. The Garden of Eden. You know what what that means? Eden? It means God's delight. And so he took the man and he set him in the garden. Look at at verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees were beautiful that produced delicious fruit and in the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and so there's the trees right there he takes the man he gives him this place to live in the garden of God. Can you imagine how awesome that would be? He puts him in the tree, or he puts him in the garden, and there's these trees. There's the tree of life. There's the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. And as long as the man has access to the tree of the knowledge of, uh, to the tree of life, as long as he has access to the tree of life, he will live forever. Live forever, but not just forever, kind of by himself, in the garden with God. And Adam gets to be the caretaker, the tender of this garden. He gets to to, to take care of God's God's garden. But then there's also the, the, the tree of life, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And I think that part of that tree has to do with obedience to God and loyalty to God. Because we know how the story goes, that they're told, you know, don't eat of that tree. And they eat of that tree, you know, you're going to die. You're going to lose access to the other tree, to the tree of life. And so God goes and he creates all of this stuff and he sets it down. He sets it down in the garden. Verse 15 says that the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. God warned him, you may eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, You're sure to die. 
eat of whatever tree you want to except, except that one. Now, the way I used to tell this story is I would say that Adam and Eve, they only had one rule. But the more I've studied this and the more I've thought about that tree and the more I've thought about relationships, I realize there's a little more to it than just, just one rule. Because I think Adam and Eve are, are called to a mission. They're called to live morally. They're called to live in, 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 in intimate relationship with each other. They're called to tend the garden. What I've come to realize is that what they are supposed to do is they are supposed to function as priests in the garden of God. They're called to live together. But we're getting ahead of the story. So Adam is there in the garden, and I imagine life is pretty good. Wouldn't you? God brings him all the animals. He says, name them. You pick. I don't care. You name them whatever you want to name them. So he does this. And it's great. But then, God notices that, okay, this is good and this is great, but there's no equal there. I mean, the animals are, are, are good, but the, the animals, they, they offer companionship, but they can't offer relationship because they're missing something. They're missing the immortal soul, and they're missing the image of God. And so God decides to, to act. And so he causes Adam to fall asleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, This one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she is taken from man. It's almost as if Adam is saying, Look, finally, finally somebody who gets me. Finally somebody who understands what it is like to be a human. The animals are awesome. But they don't fully understand. They don't communicate the way we communicate. He says, at last, here is, here is my equal. Here is woman. So he names her Eve. You know, one of my good friends, he refers to his wife as his rib. The first time I heard it, I thought it was really funny. And the way he said it to me, he's like, hey, man, you see my rib? 
No. I didn't know you had any ribs. <laughs> Why didn't you share it with me? He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about my wife. I'm talking about Gina. Like, what? Why did you call your rib? He's like, oh, wait a minute. Then this story started going off in my head, and I realized, okay, wait a minute, okay, he's, I, I see what he's doing here. He's connecting that back to the creation story. And he's honoring God. And he's honoring the, the story. And so God creates this helper, Eve. And then you get all the way down to verse 25. And this is one of the, the, the greatest and weirdest verses in the Bible. And it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. And we're like, what? Because we've all had that dream, hadn't we? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you're like riding a bus, or you're standing up in front of a classroom, or you're sitting in church, or whatever, and everybody's laughing and looking at you funny, and you're looking around trying to figure out what it is, and all of a sudden you're like, ooh. I see. You know what I'm talking about? And we're embarrassed even in our dream. Yeah, you got this show comes on TV now, Naked and Afraid. Now, why would anybody do that? Okay, I mean, seriously, what are they trying to prove? I mean, surviving is tough enough, but surviving without clothes? And they agree to film it? And put it on TV? That makes no sense to me. Well, I, mean, I mean, how do you decide? Yeah, yeah uh, who wants to be naked and go out and almost die? Yeah, sign me up. You know, I mean, who really volunteers for that? I mean, this total exposure. But you know what they do if you've watched that show? And you know you've watched that show. What's the first thing they do? They start trying to make some clothes. They start trying to cover up. But right here... It says that Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're both completely naked. And they felt no shame. What's that about? We see the naked truth. is that they had nothing to hide. Does that make sense? They had nothing to, to, to cover up. Nothing to be embarrassed of. Nothing to, to mask or conceal. Because they're pure in every way. They were naked and felt no shame. What I take away from this story is that 
they had complete and perfect communion and relationship with God. Now, I've been embarrassed to go before God with things. Have you? And for some reason, it's kind of hard to always be honest with God, isn't it? Adam and Eve are completely exposed before God. And it doesn't bother them one bit. I think that says something about their relationship. I think what we find out is that God... God longs to be in relationship with His creation. And I think what we see from the first part of this story is that all was perfect in the Garden of Eden. And that's a great story, isn't it? But guess what? It doesn't last. So next week, we'll talk more about it. But in the meantime, I want you to think about that. Between now and the next time we meet for coffee, I want you to think about what it means to be naked and feel no shame. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you that You've given us this incredible, incredibly powerful story. A story that walks us through your creation and how you called everything into existence. How you created the the heavens and the earth and how you told the seed only come this far and you called up the land and you populated the land with all kinds of creatures. All kinds of beasts and livestock. And they went out and they populated the earth. And you filled the sea with incredible creatures. We look at Father, we just the only thing we can do is sit back and give you praise and glory for your creation. God, you set the stars in the sky and the sun and the moon, and you divided it between day and night, and those give us the seasons and years and all of these great things. But Father, and as good as all of that was. You weren't through creating. And so you created Adam out of the dust of the earth. 
And you gave Adam something that no other creature has. You gave him soul. And you stamped, you imprinted your image upon him. And God, the animals were incredible. But the animal kingdom could not offer the kind of relationship that Adam needed. So you created Eve. You set them in your garden. And Father, they had daily communion with you and they were naked and felt no shame, no fear. They didn't have to cover anything up. They had absolutely nothing to hide. And Father, we cannot even imagine and fathom what that must have been like. But they did. They experienced that communion with you. God, what I see from this story is that that's what you want. You want to have communion and connection and deep and meaningful relationships with us, with your creation. So Father, help us to live into that. Help us to desire what it means to have to hide nothing from you, to be, but to be completely open and honest before you. Help us to develop that kind of intimacy with you. As we try to understand what it means to be your creation. God, you are good.